When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome to Holocron Histories, Star Wars canon versus legends. We're going to take a deep dive into the lore of the Star Wars universe. All right, and hello and welcome to the Holocron Histories podcast, where we talk about all things legends and canon in Star Wars. I am Teacup, also known as Austin. I am one of your hosts for this podcast, and I'm here with my other host, Ben of Tamaria. Yeah, and so Ben, as our lore person here, what is our topic today? So our topic today, just like last week where we went over the Galactic Republic during the Clone Wars and other uh, such, we are going to go over the other major faction that was during the Clone Wars, the Confederacy of Independent Systems, or what most people know as the Separatists. I'll be quite honest with you. I did not learn that they were called the Confederacy of Independent Systems until I played the original Battlefront back in like 2003 or something like that. Right, like, the name alone, they don't really convey it. Um, I don't think they... I mean, I know it's mentioned a few times during uh, the movies, but it's just most people just know them as the Separatists. It's just easier and rolls off the tongue better than, you know, the Confederacy of Independent Systems. No one's going to remember that. Right, exactly. Um but yeah, but I think that's funny that I my biggest memory of the CIS, as it's called, is from that first Battlefront game. Yeah. Yep. So let's get right into it. Um, so in Legends, uh, we're going to start with the rise of the movement for the Separatists. So in the decades prior to the Clone Wars, the Republic was seen uh, by many as a failing government plagued by corruption and mindless bureaucracy that stifled the voices of many consistents represented in the Galactic Senate. Um, And then into a critical situation stepped Count Dooku, a former Jedi Master who had become disillusioned with the Republic and the Jedi Order that served it. Uh, His charismatic figure stirred up anti-Republic sentiments on many worlds paving the way for rebellion against the government Uh, a loose affliction of separatists was formed with dooku as their head pushing for a new government to take place of the stagnant republic eventually separatist movements uh, establish itself as the confederacy of independent systems a bodily body formally opposed to the galactic republic members of the cis included the Corporate Alliance, Trade Trade Federation, Commerce Guild, the Intergalactic Banking Clan, and the Techno Union. 
along with the Republic or, uh, reorganized that many of its uh, member worlds were in the rebellion. It refused to formally acknowledge the existence of the CIS as the common government, deeming that doing it so would legalize, uh, legitimize it. So with all that info, it shows that this is when Dooku split from the Jedi Order to become basically Tar- Darth Tyrannus under Sidious. He used his um, influence as a Jedi to help basically make a coup of a sorts. And then, right. like, with, like, and with all the different members of the CIS, uh, the main, most, the main prominent one that most people uh, remember be the Trade Federation, which we see in the first, in episode one, Phantom Menace, where the Trade Federation is evading M- Naboo. Yeah, it's interesting about, this will be one of the big differences, I think, when we get to canon. Um Mm-hmm. with who's in the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Um, and it's interesting, I don't remember, did you see in research, like, why? Because if I remember in canon, Dooku leaves the Jedi Order because he's forced to take over the, like, government of his home planet. Mm-hmm. Do you, is that also in Legends, or...? Uh, if I recall from doing my research, he, um, he's doing his own thing. Um, he split from the order completely. And, uh, so it doesn't really say why Dooku, that what situation led to him becoming a, a figurehead. Who's just said into a uh, critical situation. So I'm curious what led him to this. Um, I be- I don't think they really fleshed it out in Legends compared to where, you know, in canon, they were f- with a lot of the novels, they were fleshing out a lot of the back end history or even during the Clone Wars uh, animation. Yeah, I was just curious about that. Yeah, um, and then we get into the Clone Wars. The Confederacy marshaled armed forces to its cause to eventually use to topple the Republic and take the capital planet of Coruscant. Uh, The Trade Federation commanded by the Republic to downsize its droid army after the Naboo incident instead of expand its forces in secret adding its battle droids to the Separatist arsenal, steadily growing with input from other factions, such as the Techno Union uh, foundries on Geonosis and Hypon, or, sorry, Hypori, and elsewhere created countless billions of battle droids ready to fight the fight for the Separatist cause, all while Dooku continued to recruit more star, system, star systems to his cause. So, another thing we've talked about in previous episodes, Coruscant is always the one to be targeted and somehow be taken over by an enemy force. Um, And then, you know, 
demanding the Republic to, you know, downsize while in secret, you know, the separatist is like, yeah, no, we're going to continue making all these battle droids. And so for the next three years, the Republican CIS would be engaged in a brutal war with many dying on both sides. Unbeknownst to the all, the war was merely part of a plan by Darth Sidious to bring about his ultimate goal, domination of the galaxy by the Sith. So, surprise, surprise, Sidious was playing both sides. He was in control of both. Um, And for the first half of the war, the Confederacy was doing well, capturing many planets despite losses on Mulicent and Dak. However, the tables turned and began to uh, suffer a series of feats which led to the Outer Rim sieges. The Confederacy was responsible for some atrocities during the war, particularly by General Grievous. Throughout the war, the Confederacy attempted to gain advantage using super weapons such as the Dark Reaper and the uh, Malevolent Iron Pulse Cannons. God. Reading's hard. <laughs> So if anybody remembers, the, um, the ion, those ion cannons were part of a... Wasn't that the part of the ship that was in the Clone Wars that uh, Grievous was control of? Yeah, so it... Sorry, it basically is this ion cannon that, when fired, just destroys all electronics. Yeah, it's basically... It shoots out a gigantic EMP. Yeah, and that- it... It's pretty devastating. I mean, it it basically allows Grievous to move through uh, and basically just decimate capital ships of the Republic, the Venator, the Venator class cruisers, mm-hmm. and everything. Yep, which we do see in uh, Clone Wars animation. Which, if I recall, didn't he use the weapon to disable Plo Koons? Right. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, that's one of the first little arcs. There's like a three-episode arc of the Malevolence. Um, Yeah. So also during the war, there were also many heroes on the side of the Confederacy, including um, Severance Tan, Dirge, and Asajj Ventress, and General Grievous, many whom were driven by hatred of the Republic or the Jedi. At around the midpoint of the war, Grievous uh, ventilated Operation Dirg's Lance, a campaign which spearheaded into the interim, leading the string of Confederate victories, uh, including the con- uh, conquest of Duro. At this point, there were many, there were certain that the CIS victory was inevitable. So, which we see also in the Clone Wars TV show, we do mean. If you watch the TV show, um, obviously General Grievous is in the films, and then we see him promptly in the Clone Wars TV show as well as we see um, Asajj Ventress, the you know uh, dark force wielder assassin um, that is trained by Count Dooku, who has a prominent role as well. Yeah, I think. The Clone Wars really makes it seem like Ventress is Dooku's only kind of um, disciple or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas where in the Legends material, that's just not true. He has several. Yes. So now we get into the fall of the Confederacy. 
the Confederacy of Independent Systems was eventually defeated, though this was not its own fault. Uh, suffering losses and victories for the matter right from the beginning of the war, and despite the might of General Grievous and its vastly superior numbers, the droid forces were often defeated by the Republic. However, as Darth Sidious manipulated the war to see both sides influence some of the, uh, the defeats of the CIS as well as some of the victories, the Separatists has lost, had lost before they even started fighting. Sidious wanted the Republic to win. At the end of the war, Count Dooku was betrayed by Sidious, who was Palpatine, had him struck down by Anakin Skywalker and boarded the Invisible Hand. Uh, General Grievous was killed by on Utapau by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Sidious betrayed the CIS leadership by having them murdered on Mustafar by his new apprentice, Darth Vader. And the Commerce Guilds faded uh, quietly into oblivion. So, as you watch Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, you see all this play out. All on screen. Where Palpatine played both sides. He literally created this war just so he can get all... uh, Dominus of the Republic and all of the galaxy. And you see, you know, Anakin, who then becomes Vader, wipe out all the Separatists on um, Mustafar. And then, yeah. yeah. Though, I, if I recall, in the video game um, for Star Wars Episode 3, Rings of the Sith, you actually get to play all that. As uh, Anakin, when he turns to Vader, you actually go and wipe out the entire Separatists, which is kind of a little thing that we get that we don't see on in the film. Man, I don't know if you remember that level of that game, but I hated that because you had the little uh, Nemoidian like guards that had the stun sticks. Mm-hmm. It made me so mad. Yeah, I mean, it was up the, towards the end of the game, so they had to put some, you know, a little difficulty into it. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, walk into a room and just slaughter all of them. Right. But yes, I remember being very, very annoyed at that. <laughs> yeah, and if anybody wants to play it, you can actually, I believe, it's backwards compatible on Xbox, and then uh, it's also on PC. Yes, it is backwards compatible on Xbox, so you need a hard copy. It's not in the Xbox store. Oh, is it not? Not that I've seen. Oh. Uh-huh. Huh. So, then we get to the Confederacy's legacy. Um, so, the legacy lives on in the form of the Death Star Project, which became the Empire's feared super weapon, as, as well as the Imperial Battle Droids. So... With the Death Star, obviously we know everybody. We all know what the Death Star is. Uh, it's in Episode Four. It's in Episode Six. It destroys planets. But uh, if anybody watches the background when you're watching Episode Two, Attack of the Clones, when all the Separatists are trying to get out of uh, Genos- uh, Genosis from the Jedi, you see in the background that they are actually working on the Death Star plans at this time. So it was already a planned thing way before the fall of the Confederacy. And then um, the Imperial battle droids we also see. We see these mainly in canon. We don't see these in 
or uh, we see these in legends not in canon too much um until like mandalorian really but um they were souped up like stormtrooper looking droids which i believe were they introduced in shadow of the empire those are the dark troopers i do know maybe shadow of the empire but i thought the dark trooper program was in the jedi knight series yeah it's one of the two all the video games like all the legend video games like tie in together a lot of times or they use similar tropes so then we get to the aftermath of the confederacy so the corporations that made up the confederacy were imperialized and assimilated into the imperial war machine and most of the separatist worlds were absorbed into the empire with many prominent races like confederacy enslaved while others, such as the Trandoshans, allied themselves with the Empire, majority of the droid armies were shut down, providing no opposition uh, to the Imperial Stormtroopers. The Death Star Project, originally the CISs, was absorbed by the Galactic Empire. And it's interesting knowing the Trandoshans were all for, like, hey, yeah, we're going to join them. Yeah, that is interesting. Um... I mean, it doesn't shock me fully though that they did because knowing Trandoshans, most Trandoshans believe in the Great Hunt, which they revere the Great Scorekeeper. And the more kills they get in their life, the better the like the bigger the score they have from their kills, the better their life will be after they die. So. I feel like most Transoceans probably join the Empire knowing that they'll fight more or something like that. Yeah, I could see that. It just also strikes me because I feel like Transoceans also value their, like, independence. You know? Yeah. I can see that. Um, I mean, just basically whatever uh, lets them achieve their goals, basically, really. And then um, then the reminders and relics of the Confederacy continues to survive the ages. On, um, on Jaoga's moon, a small army of droids was accidentally reactivated by some future, jet, uh, future Jedi. Old droid parts were used by Wookiee forces during a battle against the Imperial forces. In the same battle, an old, old CIS battle or warship was used... Uh, to the advantage of the escaping Jedi, a contingent of B-1 battle droids continued to function on Geonosis, although they were defeated by a squad of stormtroopers that crashed on the planet, as well as Wedge and Tilly's. The Zan Constorium used an old uh, droid factory on Hippori to build Droidica Mark IIs for its forces, even after the decline of the Empire, regular Droidicas were used by some smugglers as well as races like the Vagar, uh, the Vagri. And that's what we got in the Legends. It's interesting to know that they still use Droidicas. That doesn't also shock me because Droidicas would be, in my opinion, probably the best used unit by the CIS. Um, it was def- definitely, I would agree with that. And I think they would have kept it because of the shield technology. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think this was a really interesting thing to kind of like see, like, especially in the book of Boba Fett in that last episode with the, sorry, spoilers, if you haven't seen book of Boba Fett, but like the big droids that come in. Yeah. Um, with the Pike syndicate. And I think that, that they're very reminiscent of Jordicas. They're like giant Jordicas. Yeah, I mean, when I watched that for the first time, the first thing that came through my mind is Star Wars Old Republic stuff because you would fight droids that big in the MMO with shield generators. I was like, oh, they literally just pulled this from Legends. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, in canon, they're basically souped up droidicas that are like, you know, 10 to 20 times bigger. Right. Um but yeah, I think that's not really surprising that those kind of stay in use, especially like because it, you can basically use them to de- just decimate troops that can't really do anything to them if they only have blasters. Right. Yeah. I mean, the only way to really get past those shield generators, um, if I recall, is we see it in Clone Wars where um, you can take ion grenades and like gently push them under to where they bypass the shield and then explode. Other than that, it's really like basically force wielders. <laughs> if you can't wield the force, you kind of like SOL unless you have like ion technology. Yeah. Um, so there is a, the way they work is they stop everything that has like high velocity coming in at them. So like the lightsabers or blaster bolts or anything like that, but they can't stop things that are slow or things that would otherwise overpower like the circuitry of the shield. So like, I believe in clone wars in one of the first episode with master Yoda on the uh, planet with the Tordarians, one of the clone troopers fires a rocket at like a chasm and it comes down on the droidicas Mm -hmm. breaking them down with their shield. Um, I've also seen Jedi lift them up and slam them down um other than that other like i've seen rockets take them out because they can't stop the shrapnel Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah yeah fun stuff all right well you ready for our break i am All right. Well, welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about everything that does not have to do with the lore of Star Wars. Um, And so I just want to take this time to let you know that one of the best ways to support the show is to leave us reviews either on Spotify or Apple. And to if you leave us a five star review on Apple with some words, we will read it on a future episode of the show. Um, Last I checked, Ben, we do not have a review to read today. Not this week. Yeah. And uh, Ben, do you want to talk about the our new announcement of a new way to support the podcast? Yeah. So we just recently started a Patreon, just like many other podcasts on the Robots Radio Network or even uh, Austin's. Uh, I know you guys have a Patreon for the Dragon Age lore cast to where you can sign up on Patreon to and I can actually we'll go over the. Uh, tiers here okay so we have four tiers on the patreon so the first tier is a five dollar uh you can be the padawan or a sith apprentice uh you'll get a 
uh, early episodes, ad-free episodes early. Uh, and you also get a thank you, thank you message for the first time signing up. The second tier is the $10 tier. Uh, you can be a Jedi Knight or a Sith Lord. You get all the previous rewards, and then you can also do a monthly AMA submissions on our Discord, on the Cups Podcast and More Discord. You can ask us any questions on there, and then we'll read them out in the mid-break of the show. And then our third tier is the Jedi Master or Darth. Uh, you get all the previous rewards, and then you also have the chance to join us at the end of the month uh, of the topic of your choice. And then our fourth tier is the Jedi Grandmaster and Dark Lord of the Sith. It is a $50 tier, and you get all the previous ones, and then you'll get a special call out every episode. And then, I don't think I said this, tier three, you, it's a $20 per month. And we do actually have our first Patreon. Um, it is uh, Toasty from the Witcher Lorecast, or he is going by Darth Toasty because he chose to be a Darth and not a Jedi, which I kind of figured that was going to happen. But yeah, if you want to financially help us, you can do the, uh, join our Patreon and join us on the show. Yeah, and thank you for, to Toasty for becoming our first patron. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Toasty. All right, Ben. You ready to get back into it? Yeah, let's go. All right. All right. Now, since we're back, we can now go into the canon of the Confederacy. So we are going to start with the early foundations. Uh, For millennia, the galaxy had been governed by the Galactic Republic, uh, from the planet Coruscant in the core worlds and was turned uh, overseen by the Galactic Senate, which was led by an elective Supreme Chancellor with assistance from the Jedi Order who acted as peacekeepers. The Republic and thereby the galaxy had not endured conflict for an entire millennia. However, as the Republic carried on, the government became both weak and corrupt. So just like we see in Legends and we see in the films, the government and the Republic starts weighing down because of all the peace. And then during this era of peace, uh, heightening the political tensions arose within the Republic a decade before the Clone Wars, such as a group of usurpers on the planet uh, Halcyon became discontent with the world's membership and wanted their world to be Able to manage their own affairs, they kidnapped several members of Halcyon's planetary leadership and held them in a remote fortress where they prepared to, uh, for an assault while attempting negotiations for, with hostages. Internal negotiations failed and led the Senate to eventually authorize the Jedi Order to intervene on Halcyon as mediators and enforcers if necessary. So we even see before, like, the actual founding of the confederacy there were already worlds that were fed up with the republic and wanted to get out yeah i think that and we really see that like even in planets that are like super pro republic like naboo when we see them in the phantom menace um they're still fed up with like the senate and the republic in the republic mm-hmm. yep it's more of like the fact that, yes, the Republic's in charge, but the Senate 
has become so complacent to where they start twirling their thumbs or more it's a lot more infighting in the senate itself to where they are so much engrossed in fighting each other within the senate that nothing gets done and that i mean that's what we see in uh episode one and why the republic doesn't help out naboo yeah, definitely. And it's what ultimately leads Padme to make the big decision to pull for the vote of no confidence. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So then we get to the succession from the Republic. Uh, the first declaration of succession could be traced back to Count Dooku's Reckness address when the Count denounced the Galactic Republic as a feudal enterprise that was hopelessly burdened by corruption and favoritism towards the crow worlds. Following the address, Dooku founded the Confederacy of Independent Systems and became the Separatist Crisis. And then the fallen Jedi Master's world of inflammatory Remnick would find a receptive audience among young intelligibles in the mid and interim universities. Both charismatic and excluding confidence, Dooku's message rallied thousands of individuals by recounting decades of experience within the Republic government and publicizing its uh, hypocrisies, corruption, and effectiveness. So Dooku used his charisma as a former Jedi to different universities in the Republic and to spread this awareness of the corruption and ill-advised republic to the people. Yeah, um, we kind of get like a little glimpse into this, at least his Dooku before this, um, at the end of the Master and Apprentice novel. Uh, So spoilers for that if you haven't read that. But Dooku basically reaches out to Qui-Gon and another Jedi whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but he, they were both once Dooku's apprentices, and he reaches out to both of them, basically asking him them to join him. And he's, like, about to, like, start recruiting and starting this separation thing. Hmm. And that's, like, four or five years before The Phantom Menace. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So... With the Separatist crisis intensifying as more systems pledge loyalty to Dooku, Separatist government across the galaxy causing uncertainty and fears that the Republic would be split into two, the Senate of the Republic moved towards the passage of the Military Creation Act, which would establish centralized armed forces to protect the thousand-year-old democracy for the first time. Meanwhile, Dooku had promised the Viceroy, Newt Gunray, and that he would assassinate Senator Padme Amidala of Naboo if he signed Dooku's treaty. The Viceroy accepted the offer, and Dooku dispatched Jango Fett to carry out Amidala's assassination. And then, uh, despite the failure of Fett's mission, which we don't see in Episode 1, um... Dooku was able to persuade the Trade Federation, the Intergalactic Banking Clan, the Techno Union, and the Commerce Guilds, and the Corporate Alliance to sign uh, a treaty on the on Geonosis to join together as the Executive Separatist Council. So 
that we're doing this research, I did not realize that Dooku contacted Django to assassinate Padme once before episode two. I think that it was just he hired him and then there were other points like that's all leading up to episode two because all those members like the banking clan, the techno union, uh, the commerce skill trade federation, uh, that treaty on Geonosis is during the episode two. Oh, that's right. Um, um, what I was saying is interesting about that is that during the Clone Wars arc, we basically learned that both the banking clan and the Trade Federation are having public faces of neutrality during the Clone Wars. Even though everyone and all the senators know where their allegiance lie, they are technically publicly neutral in the conflict. Right. So, Which isn't very clear in the if you just watch the movies. That's true. They they don't really go. They they don't take a really big deep dive. It's just hey, hey, these guys are separatists. That's it. Like that's it. That's all we got. So in the Clone right. Wars, you know, oh yeah, we're we're neutral. Yeah, we're 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 going to stay neutral. We're not doing anything bad. And you know, everybody knows like uh, that's BS. <laughs> but we can't do anything because. Not everybody under their command, quote unquote, is technically a separatist. And I think that's why they do a thing of neutrality. But um, then we get into the Clone Wars. Um, so which is, you know, episode two, Attack of the Clones, which starts it all. Um, as Austin said, you know, we see the executive separatist council form. Um, and, you know, Jango Fett trying to kill Panne, which completely failed. Um, they had suffered... well. He killed six people, just not Padme. True, that's a good point. Yeah, he killed a lot of people, just yeah, not Padme. Even though it, he he sent another assassin to try to kill her, and then she sent a droid with bugs to kill her, and they it was a weird form of uh, trying to kill her. <laughs> There's an old joke that is like, okay, originally they want Dooku to says he'll assassinate Padme, but he doesn't want to do it, so he mm-hmm. hires Django. Django says he doesn't really want to do it, so he hires Zam Wessel, and Zam Wessel's like, well, I don't really want to do it, so she gets a droid to do it, and then the last joke is like, even the droid didn't want to do it, so he the droid got the bucks to do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes all the way back to where you know. Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan are chasing after uh, Wessel trying to t- uh, take her down and then Padme had a like Jango had a clear shot to get a Padme at that point but what does he do he he goes and kills uh, Wessel <laughs> and it's like wait what this just proves that Star Wars doesn't work if you ask too many questions about the plot yes there's some point you just have to say okay this is what's happening that is true <laughs> So, um, as they suffered a defeat in the battle, the goal of the Sith had begun, um, had began, had been fulfilled. The Clone Wars had begun. Shortly, the CIS retreat and vacated its first capital world of Geonosis. These separatists began to seize control of a major hyperspace land, separating the Republic from its army. And with the outbreak of hostilities, many worlds either declared openly for the separatists or declared neutrality. 
declining to support either side. Some of the neutral worlds banded together into a loose alliance, the Council of Neutral Systems for uh, Mutual Negotiation and Defense. This was officially merely an advisory group, not a breakaway government. Both sides negotiated with the neutral worlds, with the Republic trying to bring worlds back into the fold willingly if they had not declared for the separatists due to fears that taking action against uh, non-hostile worlds would only cause sympathy for the separatist cause. And I think this is a good point of like, if you're watching the Clone Wars arc and really understanding what's going on, Mandalore is a neutral system. They are a member of the Council of Neutral Systems. Mm-hmm. In fact, their Duchess Satine is one of the main leaders of it. Yes. Which is funny to me that Mandalorians are... Neutral? <laughs> neutral. In anything. Right. right. No, in their history, you know, what they love to fight. So, yeah, seeing them as a neutral system is like, really? Are you, though? So, then the Confederacy would have revealed during the um, Malevolence campaign... It's massive new super weapon uh, known only as the um, Malevolence, a super or a sub jugular class heavy cruiser that was commanded by some uh, Supreme Commander General Grievous. It worked by firing ion cannon to disable enemy ships before destroying them with a barrage of non more conventional cannon fire. So as we said earlier in this episode, you know, we see this like little what three episode arc in uh, the Clone Wars animation where you see General Grievous using the ship to um, disable like Plo Koon's uh, fleet and to where they have to go save them. And then in order to gain uh, much needed support, their attempt by taking over Mandalore, the Death Watch briefly allied themselves with the Confederacy of Independent Systems Mandalorian commandos performed sabotage missions for the Separatists against the Republic targets. So even if Mandalore was neutral, Death Watch was not. Right. Um, And like this really, if you really want to kind of like understand the different like splinter groups of Mandalorians and like if that like confuses you in watching the Mandalorian, you're like, why do some Mandalorians take off their helmets and not really kind of like if you watch the Clone War, Clone Wars arcs of the Mandalorians, you help understand like the different philosophies that had developed among Mandalore and the people of Mandalore. Yep. So, and then by the final days of the Clone Wars, the Republic had pushed back the CIS, taking away most of its territory and effectively only leaving it with few systems in the Outer Rim to wipe out the Confederacy's last holding. The Republic was laying siege to the Confederacy in the Outer Rim and its holdings and other sectors with battles taking place on um, Kato Nimodia, Maigido, Salakumi, Kashyyyk, Felucia, Kalar, and Luriak. I think that's how you say it. While Grievous had launched a counteroffensive against the Republic, pushing this military to the breaking point. So these worlds, as you see, were all prominent in Episode 3. At least uh, some of them. I know Felucia Kashyyyk were. Um, uh, Maigito is where uh, Kian Mundi is. Okay. 
um, uh, and they mention Kato Nemoidia in um, it's a, actually just kind of like a throwaway line where Anakin says to Obi-Wan he's like not for saving uh, your skin for the 10th time or something oh, like that and, yeah, yeah. and he's like ninth time that business on Kato Nemoidia doesn't count Yes, which they just finally uh, revealed that story in the new uh, Brothers book. Oh, I'll have to get that. It just came out uh, May 10th. Yeah, I'll have to get that and read that. Read it before the show comes out. Yes, and I still need to get it. I just know that that story is in the book to where it like reveals like a plot hole. <laughs> yeah. So then the Separatists had launched a surprise attack on the capital of the Galactic Republic, Coruscant, and saw Chancellor Palpatine captured by Grievous and kept on board his command ship. However, this plan was orchestrated by Sidious in order for Anakin to kill Dooku to replace him as Sidious, Sidious's next apprentice, but no one was aware of the Sislor's true intention. So we're getting into things where we see in, the, in Revenge of the Sith, a lot of the stuff I'm going to be going over will be from that film. So then after that, Grievous was ordered to uh, order the fleet to withdraw uh, and became head of the Confederacy of the Independent Systems who fled to Utapau, which was occupied by them sometime after a crystal incident where he head and met with the Separatist Council. After a brief disagreement with Newt Gunring, he ordered him and the other leaders to go to the Mustafar system where they would be safe during this time. There, his location was discovered by clone intelligence. This led the Jedi Council to send Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi to investigate. Having arrived in secret, Kenobi confirmed the presence of General Grievous and ordered a full-scale assault on the settlement. During the ensuing battle, Grievous would be killed by Kenobi while trying to flee the sinkhole planet. Which, you know, we all see in Revenge of the Sith, where it's an awesome battle between Grievous and Obi-Wan. And where Obi-Wan gets the line, uh, so uncivilized. And hello there. And hello there, yes. The classic meme that everybody uses. (laughs) Hello there. General Kenobi. (laughs) All right, and then uh, following this, the Galactic Republic reformed into the Galactic Empire. With Palpatine declaring himself the Galactic Emperor on Mustafar, Darth Sidious convert conversed with the Separatist Council via hologram and gunnery marking uh, confidently that their plan had gone just as the Dark Lord of the Sith had promised. Demoralized by their recent defeats, Gunray and the other leaders had wished to sue for peace, but did not know what Sidious had planned for them, who promised that his new apprentice would soon arrive to take care of them. And then in rapid succession, Vader executed the counselors, including Ponunda of the planet Andor, Pastel Argenti of the Corporate Alliance, and Presidente Sumai of the Commerce Guild. He was then set his sights on Tychus of Moncarla and Archduke Pugil the Lesser of Genosis. Minister Wat Tambor of the Techno Union, who fled to the com- uh, conference room. And Rune Hako of the Trade Federation were also killed, and only Newt Gunray remained, who begged for mercy but was also murdered by Vader. So, you know, 
Vader going in, wiping them one by one with no mercy. Yeah. And that's also where you get the scene of Anakin and his yellow eyes. Yes. Where he gets his Sith eyes. Yeah. And then after the slaughter, Vader received the order to end the Confederacy from Palpatine by sending a transmission to the droid control ships of the Trade Federation to issue the immediate deactivation of all remaining droid units within the Separatist droid army. The signal was spread throughout the galaxy, such as on Lor- uh, Lorcori, thus formally ending the war. With the Separatist droid army shut down, the Empire defeated the Confederacy, winning the Clone Wars and bringing about the collapse of the CIS. Concurrently, the various uh, federations and guilds that held power under the CIS were mostly wiped out. Yeah, it's really like kind of like anticlimactic to like the whole war is like, okay, you've been fighting, you've been pushing this back and then just out of nowhere, just it's over. All the droids are deactivated. Yep. It was very anticlimactic. It's like, oh, we've been fighting. It's like, oh, how to end? Yeah, we just shut them down. We just shut the droids down. That's it. We ended it. There's an there's an episode of the Clone Wars, or not the Clone Wars, of Rebels, where they go to this old decommissioned... Uh, oh, yes. That's the one separatist with Separatist base. That's the one with the tactical droid and Rex, right? Yeah, tactical droid and Rex, where they're basically trying to figure out who won the Clone Wars. And Ezra has the great line of, like, no one won the Clone War because the Republic became the Empire and all the droids in the CIS were deactivated. Your real enemy is the Empire, and then they fight there. Also in that episode is one of the funniest lines in all of Star Wars, in my opinion, which is one of the B-1 battle droids says, Roger, Roger, and Ezra Bidger just goes, who's Roger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's, Ro- who's this Roger we're talking about? <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I hear it. <sighs> and then uh, now we get into the legacy of the Confederacy. So, sweeping to the former Confederacy's territory, the Empire proclaimed it was not the Confederacy's enemy, claiming their regime would treat all planets within the CIS fairly in exchange for their loyalty. In reality, however, all former Separatists would come to suffer under Imperial rule. Surprise, surprise. And then, as the Clone Wars ended, the former Confederacy was absorbed into the fledgling Galactic Empire, whose navy began to root out the remaining surviving Separatist holdouts who had, not hold, who had not surrendered and stopped fighting for at least four years after the Clone Wars. While criminal organizations composed of repurposed battle droids such as the droid Gotra operated in the Imperial Center's underground, while some escaped notice altogether. And then during the Age of the Empire... The tale of the Clone Wars was frequently used as a warning to the galaxy of what could happen should the Empire in order fall or fail. Separatist military equipment, including battle droids that survived the war, was used by a number of pirates and resistance organizations, including Birch Teller's Rebel Cassell and the insurgent leader Neville Siji. Siji? Yeah. And then um, this one's this was one was i was hoping to find out about the uh, new republic starfighter pilot timon wexley's best friend was a former b1 battle droid named mr bones and if you don't know who mr bones is he's great he's like a souped up red version b1 battle droid um and he's great he's in uh he's in the comics 
And then he's actually a character you can unlock in Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga to play. And it's awesome. So he makes his first appearance in like the Aftermath books, right? I believe so. Yeah. And then uh, by the early Imperial period, remnants of the Confederacy of Independent Systems had fled into the Western reaches. Various planet planetary populations of former Confederate worlds were dissatisfied with the lack of reconstructive action in the aftermath of the Clone Wars, joining the holdouts and swelling their numbers in their campaign against the Empire that lasted until 15 BBY. And then after, after the war, some te- separatists took on lives that operated outside of the law. The uh, prestigious General Cleave took on the name John Doe, and worked off the planet Lan. In addition, the enterprising Imperial Navy officer Thrawn collected separatist weapons and technology, including a buzz droid. So I didn't know that Thrawn, I mean, I knew Thrawn loved to collect stuff, but I did not know he liked, he wanted to collect uh, separatist things. Yeah, anything to give him an advantage. That's true. And then soon after the Empire's formation, Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader observed the construction of the Death Star, a superweapon which had begun construction shortly after the Second Battle of Geonosis by the Separatists. With the Separatists defeated and their leaders killed, the Death Star project was taken over by the Galactic Empire, who planned to use it to control the galaxy, which we all see in Episode 4. Actually, technically, we also do see in Rogue One, because that's when they test it. Yep. And then after the alliance to restore the Republic was reorganized into the New Republic, so this is after Return of the Jedi, um, it decided that the capital of the New Republic would be the rotated, uh, that the capital of the New Republic would be rotated periodically, addressing one of the main concerns of the uh, Confederate systems. So that I did not know. I did not know they periodically changed the capital of the New Republic. I don't know. Is it? I mean, I know two stuff from a, like a Confederate thing, the Confederate to come back in a way. But it's also, I feel like they probably should have, they did that also to break the curse of like, you know, their capital world course not being sacked every time there's a major conflict. Yeah, I think that's part of it. It's also a thing about like a lot of the um, systems like planets like Onderon and a lot of other planets that were part of the Separatist Union. Um, when it appeared like, oh my gosh, like the Galactic Republic has become this empire, they basically formed like the bones of the Rebel Alliance. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's Bail Organa and Mon Mothma who are out there organizing them into this rebel alliance. And so there's a, when they're forming the New Republic, there's a lot of influence from what they originally wanted. Um, and there's two, there's two factions, and I, can't, I know one's name is the Populace, and then there's another one, but I can't remember what it is. But basically it's the same kind of argument. Like one wants a less centralized government and one wants a more centralized government. Okay. Yeah. That you can read all about that in the, uh, bloodline book, which is about Leia in the formation of the new Republic. Okay. 
Yeah. I haven't had to read that one. I, there's a lot of the new canon books I have not read yet. Mm-hmm. That one's one of the better ones, I think. If you want to know more about Princess Leia and General Leia and how where she, how she gets from the end of Return of the Jedi to where she is at the beginning of Force Awakens, that's a good book to read. Awesome. Yeah. But uh, that's what we got in canon for the Confederacy. Yeah, I think one of the things about the Confederacy that is so interesting over the years is like when we watch the movies, oh, they were the bad guys. Like they're still the bad guys. And even in the Clone Wars, they're portrayed as the bad guys doing terrible things. But there were a lot of them, a lot of these systems and planets who just saw a problem with the Republic Mm -hmm. and really wanted to make the galaxy better and were manipulated as much as the Republic did. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the... The whole thing behind the Confederacy is, yes, they did bad things to the Republic, but they were looking to fix the galaxy as a whole because they saw the the Republic as corrupt, which it was, in which we do see the Republic. It was corrupt at the point to where things needed to be changed. Could they have done a different way to change? Absolutely, but... You know, like you said, they were manipulated by Sidious to go into war and, you know, to be wiped out. Yeah. And I think that, like, you know, just from a thing, if Dooku and the Trade Federation were not involved in the Separatist, they could have convinced Padme Amidala to come with them. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, she would have been all about seeing that corruption. I think she would have had a little hesitation because she is, especially after reading all the Padme books, she definitely is someone who wants to work within the system to mm-hmm. change it. But I think the fact that the Trade Federation and Dooku were a part of this really kind of hurt them from gaining more support. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Well, if you don't have anything else, I think that's where we can call it a day. All right. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Holocron Histories podcast. We'll see you next week. And may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Holocron Histories, Star Wars canon versus legends. You can find us on the Robots Radio Discord at robotsradio.net. You can also follow us on Twitter at SWHoloHistories and contact us at holocronhistories at gmail.com. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always remember... Swooping.